maximize your sense of aliveness, gain new perspectives on health, your body, and the meaning of life. You can control your physiology and how you feel in your body in this moment. Your life will never be the same. This is the Vitality Podcast with Andrea Page. Just start thinking critically about the concept of health, right? What does health mean? Because we've gone for a really long time not asking this question. And collectively, the development of that is that as a global society, really, today, we've agreed that health means living without disease. And a lot of that is because people today are sicker than ever before, and there are more sick people than ever before. Who knows someone who's sick? Some kind, yeah, everyone's hands up. And I'm not talking about like cold or flu, maybe that as well. But yeah, certain maladies of today that are more often than not lifestyle-related diseases. Yeah? A lot of the work that I do in my naturopathy practice is to help people understand that not only are these diseases completely preventable, yeah, that we don't have to have the diseases, even if we have a genetic inheritance of some perceived weakness, right? our lifestyle and dietary choices will decide if the disease sees itself out or not. Right? So not only are diseases preventable, but also possible if they're in development, and reversible if they're already in existence. And we have tons of tons of people, actual case studies worldwide to prove this. And a lot of my training under this is with a group of MDs who are very progressive MDs of our time, people like Dean Ornish, Caldwell Esselstein, Joel Furman, a teacher of mine, Colin T. Campbell, the author, author of the China study. And the China study itself was the longest clinical nutrition study ever done. It was both simultaneously clinical as well as epidemiological, which means it was population-based, studying people in real life. Yeah? Hundreds of thousands of people in China, as the name the China study implies, and comparing their life and their diet and then the presence of absence of disease, presence or absence of disease, comparing that with people in the United States, right? The standard American diet, the standard American health regime, right? And so I think you can probably guess what the comparison showed. Who do you think was healthier? Yeah, the Chinese. And we're, we're, we're saying, again, that health in that respect could mean like less instances of disease, for sure, for sure. And this was rural China, and this was done a good number of years ago so that there was enough time that uh, there wasn't all the modern pollution and lifestyle dietary change that there is today in China, especially in the cities and the coastal regions. Hi, Christina. Welcome. Nice to see you. Awesome. Hello. So, yeah, I always start these Monday night lectures um, talking to you about my biases because I find it's really important for anyone giving a public lecture uh, to be able to show their cards, because likelihood is if someone can talk for an hour, they probably have some opinions, and I'm no exception to that. And so I, I want to show you my cards here at the beginning. Uh, in the root of everything I do, I am a natural hygienist, which means that I believe in the power of fasting and use fasting as a go-to to be able to balance the body and really heal anything that perhaps is out of balance. And the inherent thesis of understanding with natural hygiene and also natural medicine at large is the understanding that the body can heal itself. 
And that's not something that you hear every day. That's not something that society necessarily wants to implant in you. This is not a common idea that the body can heal itself. And so I'll say it just a third time to continue reminding your brain. The body can heal itself. It just has to be given the time and space to do so. And the most powerful time and space that we can take is, again, that of fasting, because it's a big energetic reversal in the body. When we stop taking in solid fibrous matter, all of a sudden, the entire digestive tract over a period of time gets to slow down and shut off. And when that happens, the energy that would normally go to digestion gets to be turned around and sent to the cells, right, to heal, to repair, to detoxify and cleanse at the cellular level. Right? Any kind of imbalance in the body, if it's in some kind of hormonal signaling, yeah, high or low thyroid function, right? if it's an imbalance chemically in the brain creating a certain kind of depression, as we call it clinically, Right? If it's an imbalance in heart function, right? or blood pressure, high or low blood pressure, all of these things automatically get reversed, get balanced out, and become healed by the body just getting time and space. Because that time and space of fasting is abstinence from most, if not all, chemical input. And what is chemical input into the body? Well, it's definitely food and drink. Maybe you think of chemicals in food like processed foods. Yeah, that's, that's really rough for your body to start to decipher and dissect. Those of you who were in my food combining lecture last week, right, we talked about all of that chemical input, about the fact that we have more than 50 ingredients on average in one modern human meal. And each one of those ingredients is indeed a chemical signal to the body. And at a certain point, the body gets overwhelmed by all of this chemical signaling. And so the process of fasting is sweeping all of that aside and saying, hey, let's just chill. Right? Who wants to chill? Does that sound good? That's what you guys are here doing in Bali, right? Yeah, you could do a fast while you're here. Give your body the same opportunity that your mind and your spirit are getting. And so that time of chill is the perfect time and space that the body needs to send the up to 70% of energy into the digestive tract and reroute it Right? From the digestive tract then to the cells for healing, right? to balance. And so that's my bias toward natural hygiene. That's my bias toward fasting. Right? And that doesn't mean that we should fast our whole life. <laughs> but that does mean that we can use the logic and the inherent understanding of fasting to indicate our life. That when we're eating, the more simple to digest foods that we eat, the foods that pass through the stomach faster, the foods that are simpler right, in ingredients as well as the, the food themselves, right? So not processed foods, not things with additives or preservatives or even sugar or anything like this, right? The simpler the food is, the less effort the body will have to exert to digest it. And so if we can take that premise and match it with the premise of fasting, we realize that the more simply we eat, the more energy we have to heal and be and express ourselves as human beings. Does that make sense? All right, so that's my bias on that front. I have other biases. Uh, I have a master's of science in ethnobotany, which is the study of the relationship between people and plants. So that's like, hey, those curtains, what kind of plant are they made out of and why? Or your shirt, is it cotton, right? Where was that cotton grown, How, et cetera, et cetera. Well, my specialty in ethnobotany is gastroethnobotany, the study of the relationship between people and food plants. Yeah, and so 
I had also wanted to talk about food tonight, but I was, I was shying away because I thought some of my fasters who started today might be here. But they're not here, so we can talk about food. <laughs> so maybe we'll do that later, but that's looking at um, different diets, of course. And my master's field research was actually done here in Bali, and I was studying the change in diet over time, specifically over the past three generations, and linking that change in diet with the skyrocketing level of lifestyle-related disease that we see here in Bali. Yeah. And I started uh, saying before, in relationship to my studies with Colin T. Campbell, that the China study, remember this big epidemiological and clinical study? The, the take-home of that, the, the main finding, was indeed that the five most present maladies in our society today, heart disease, diabetes, autoimmune diseases, right, obesity, and of course cancer, that all five of these are not only completely preventable, but pausable and reversible through diet and lifestyle change alone. And so some of you might be thinking, okay, well, what, what is that diet and lifestyle change? Well, it's exactly directly linked to what I just told you about simplicity. It's directly linked to being more plant-based, eating more plants. The human digestive tract is 10 times the length of our abdomen. The only reason that we have so much length in our digestive tract, and most of it's in the small intestine right here, where we have these little wonderful absorbers able to absorb nutrients, because we're meant to be eating densely nutritious food. And so all of these plants that have all these great colors, blue, green, purple, yellow, red, all of these plants are stocked full of phytonutrients. And that's what our human body thrives off of. And so it's a testament right here in our digestive system. Right? Those are also the foods that are fastest digesting through the stomach. So building off of last week, those of you who are here for food combining, we learned about the transit time through the stomach. What's the fastest solid food? Pop quiz for those of you who were here last week. Fastest solid food to pass through the stomach? Fruit. Fruit. Fantastic. It's the most water-containing. Fruit will enter and exit the organ of the stomach within 30 minutes if chewed well and ripe, etc., etc. Amazing. What's the next fastest food? Leafy greens. There we go. Leafy greens and vegetables, uncooked vegetables, exactly. So there we have it, plants, mostly plants in their above-ground state. Those are the fastest-moving things through the stomach, which means that our body will have to spend the least amount of effort digesting them. And when our body spends the least amount of effort in digestion, that means we have way more energy, again, to cleanse and heal and rebuild and reboot. And this is tremendous. It's also tremendously simple. And so, in reversal and in prevention of these five maladies that I mentioned, by all means, right, I'll quote Michael Pollan, a great journalist, food journalist. He says, eat plants. It's a two-word quote. It's a really good quote, right? <laughs> I wish someone would quote me on that. Eat plants, lots of them. Yeah, and that's the dietary advice that I tend to give here. Eat lots of plants, because the thing is, I'm sure that none of you have ever heard that fruits and vegetables are good for you. No one's ever said that to you, right? I know, I'm the first one. No? You guys are looking at me like, I, I have heard that before. What are, you, what are you talking about? I'm making a joke? You can laugh. Yeah, OK. Good, thanks. So yeah, fruits and vegetables indeed are good for you, and this is why. Because they're fast digesting. They have a really high return 
in nutrients, in fact, the highest return that we could ever ask for. Right? They require very little amount of energy for our body to digest. Right? And especially on the fruit side, they give us calories, which means that we'll have energy to go and expend to do whatever we want in life. So it's like a win-win-win scenario. All right? Now, let me just think if I have any other biases because I'm going to go on to the microbiome from here. But um, yeah, my last bias that I'll tell you is that I'm a career colon hydrotherapist and I'm a d the director of the colonics clinic here. And so I have a big bias toward the large intestine and elimination. Yeah, because a lot of times people do what I'm doing right now, spending time talking about what's going in, right? Green juice or healthy diet or exercise and things like that. But no one's talking about what's going out or maybe what's not going out. Yeah, and that's just as important as what's going in. Because if you put in all the right stuff but nothing comes out, or it comes out way too frequently, all of a sudden, we're still in imbalance. And so, those of you who have been to my lectures before, how often is the human body meant to defecate poop? There we go. Once per meal per day. So preferably before every meal, but I'll negotiate with you. Okay. Yeah. Once per meal per day. That should be news to most of you. It's if you eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, pooping three times a day. Do I have any proud three poopers in here? Show of hands. All right, me and the detox intern. Very good. Okay. So yeah, everyone has some work to do, right? And perhaps even just me saying that, planting the seed that we're supposed to be pooping multiple times per day will allow you to go to the toilet and see if anything happens. I highly encourage you to do that. Yeah. What you need to do that is hydration, minimum three liters of water per day on an empty stomach. You need to be in a squat-like position like this, yeah, anatomically. That's how we're meant to be pooping. And thirdly, you need to give yourself time. Right? Go to the toilet, squat there, stay there for 10 minutes. Reserve it in your schedule. Breathe. Get your mind off of things. Read or play on Facebook on your phone. I don't care. You can go to my Live for Vitality page and research. Yeah. <laughs> that was a great plug. Very good, yeah? So those, that's my directive on how to poop more. So that's an aside. All right. So. Once we've covered my biases, we can move on into the heart of the lecture today, talking about disease prevention and ultimately disease reversal. Right? So we already covered that it requires eating plants. Um, I'll, I'll emphasize what I just said. Disease prevention and reversal definitely requires constant defecation. And that's, that sounds really bad, so don't quote me on that. I'm recording this. Goodness. Constant defecation would mean multiple times per day perhaps once per meal per day, right? Because the thing is that the human body tends to accumulate a lot. And when we look to the natural hygiene texts of more than 100 years ago, we start to see that the root of all disease based upon this system of natural medicine is auto-intoxication, self-intoxication. Because when waste product does not come out of the body, it's stuck either in the large intestine or worse, because the large intestine is full, it's stuck in the cells at a cellular level, we start to see development of toxicity deeply rooted in the human body. This can result in things like acidosis. Has anyone ever taken a pH test? No? All right, so this is a homework assignment. Sometimes I've been giving homework assignments recently. I challenge you to go and try to find pH papers. They're hard to find in Bali, but um, I'm sure you can find some online or wherever you're going back home. Right? pH strips, you can buy them in a natural health food store. What you do with them is you can spit on them, get some saliva there, and then flick it off within 10 seconds, measure it to their scale, 
and it'll show you the pH or the potence hertz of either your saliva, your urine. Of course, there's a pH test you can do of the blood, although that will not really change from its level of 7.34. It cannot change or else you'll die. But every part of the body, the vagina, the stomach, the intestines, they all have different pHs. Yeah? And in general, throughout the human body, we should have more of an alkaline pH. And so I'll take you back to high school chemistry class. The scale of potent hertz pH goes from 0 to 14. Yeah, 7 is the middle. 0 to 7 is what we call acidic. You remember this? And then 7 to 14 is what we call basic or alkaline. So who's heard the buzzword alkaline? Yeah, I got a lot more hands on that than for the pH test. So yeah, people are saying today we need to alkalize our life. There's a whole scam about alkaline water. Don't buy it. Yeah, spring water is perfect at its alkalinity of slightly above 7. We don't need anything more than that. That's the side. Yeah. But as for alkalinity, where do we find that? Anyone know? What kinds of foods are very alkaline? Okay. Okay, give me a category of foods. I'll give you a hint. We already talked about them before. There we go. Fruits and vegetables are super alkaline. It's all making sense. Wait a minute. Because the premise of this alkalinity is that acidity is the primary, uh, let's say, environment for disease to exist. Disease can and only will exist in acidity. Disease cannot and will not ever exist in alkalinity. And so we start to see that today, of course, people's bodies are acidic, quite acidic, right? Because of our diet and our lifestyle choices, also because of our thoughts, because of our stress, the hormones produced by stress are acidifying in the body, right? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so we see that, of course, the alkaline side of the paradigm is where we find health. And that actually the body is always trying to work to create alkalinity in the body. All right, do I have any coffee drinkers in here? Not too many of you. All right, I'm going to piss you guys off. You ready? <laughs> Love doing this. All right, so the thing is, coffee. This is a fun one to talk about because there are tons of studies on coffee, right? Humans are willing to defend anything that they love, right? to the, defend it to the T. And so when we look at coffee, I'll start by botanically telling you a little bit about it. The coffee bean, we call it, it's actually a seed of a plant of this lovely little red fruit, right? This bean is part of uh, a plant family called the Rubiaceae family, all right? And the seed, just like all seeds of plants, is slightly toxic to the human body. All right? And the reason for that, it's covered in an endotoxic layer, is because the plant has a biological imperative that it wants you to eat the fruit and have the seed pass through you untouched so that you can poop it out in a perfect little pile of compost and then it'll be replanted right somewhere far away and grow into a new plant. You see that? Think of things like strawberries, absolutely brilliant, right? All those little seeds, you have to eat them, can't do anything about it. Right? Brilliant plant, this is the biological imperative of the plant, you see that? And so when we look at that, we realize that actually all seeds and nuts, nuts are botanically seeds, are actually toxic. And that might be crazy to a lot of you because you eat nuts and seeds all the time, yeah? Right? Well, guess what? I can tell you from the colonics clinic, I see nuts and seeds come whole. Right? Totally unprocessed through the colonics tube all the time. Right? The human body cannot process them. Wow, this should be wowing to many of you. Wow! Right? 
The good news is you can soak them or sprout them. It's called activated. That's the new buzzword for that in the raw food movement. And when you soak and sprout, what you're doing is germinating the seed and you're changing it from a seed into a little baby plant. Right? Once it sprouts, it's now actually a vegetable. It's no longer a seed. Does that make sense? So that's also building off for those of you who were at Food Combining last week. This is good. We get to actually do a level two lecture. Good. So when we see that, all right, we're going back to coffee. We're going to see that this, this is definitely a seed. So it has all of those properties slightly toxic to the body. Now, some of you might say, well, I don't know. I have coffee all the time. I don't feel like it's toxic to my body, right? Others of you might be like, I have coffee all the time, and I definitely know that it's toxic to my body. Let's find some, some evidence to this. Those of you who drink coffee, do you notice that it makes you poop? That it has a laxative effect? Yeah? Oh, I'm seeing some head nods. There we go. Yeah. Okay, so let's take a step back and look at the big picture. What indeed is the laxative effect? Any laxative, if it's herbal, if it's pharmaceutical, even if it's coffee, is a slight poison to the body. Whereby when that comes in, the body says, whoosh! I don't want this, flush, and it starts to flush out the coffee. And so the data that we have from this shows that one cup of coffee will dehydrate you to the equivalent of one, two, three, four cups of water at the equivalent size. And so for your average cup of coffee, right, that's one to one and a half liters of water that you're losing just to flush that coffee alone. All right? So, coffee, totally dehydrating. It's a bit of like a catch-22 because it's not only that it's dehydrating, but it's making you go to the toilet, right? And what do you need to go to the toilet normally? Remember that list of how to poop more? I told you number one was hydration. So it's like tricking your body. It's dehydrating you at the same time as it's making you poop. And so what this does is start a cycle of severe dehydration and severe constipation. It's quite a dangerous cycle to get into and a difficult one to climb out of. Yeah? Luckily, fasting is a really good way to do that. So if any of you want to break your coffee addiction, we can talk afterward yeah? about like the cleanse program or something like that. But in general, it doesn't stop there. I said I was going to piss you off. Maybe you're not upset enough about that. You're like, yeah, OK, coffee's dehydrating. I'll just drink some more water with it. But Actually, the thing is that on this scale, remember the scale of 0 to 14? Guess where coffee is? Yeah, I see. Yeah, she's like, I know. It's pretty acidic. Two or three. And this is an exponential scale, which means from 7 to 6, it's 10 times more acidic, right? That means that 5 is 100 times more acidic than 7. That means 4 is 1,000 times more acidic than seven, right? We'll get down to three. 10,000 times more acidic than seven, right? So we see that this is a very acidic substance, coffee and alcohol both down here at the acidic realm. And so when we're taking that in, what's happening? It's changing the environment in the body and increasing acidity, making the body ripe for disease. You see that? Now, the thing is that all of these studies that are done on coffee, they say, like, it uh, counters obesity, it lowers blood pressure, it does, you've seen these studies, right? It thins the blood, all of these things that we think are really good. The thing is that those studies are using coffee on people who are not healthy, people who are already sick. And any kind of laxative that you give to someone who's sick is definitely going to help them because it'll make them poop. Do you see that? 
You see that connection? You see how our scientific research can be really misleading? And I want to take a side note here, not to say that I'm right or I know anything, because I don't know anything. I just experiment a lot and share the results of my experimentation. Right? But moreover, I'm going to encourage you guys to start to experiment. And so with anything I say tonight, do not believe me. Please don't believe me. Belief is not worth anything. Right? It has to do with intuitive experience, to quote Yogananda on religion. But anyway, that means that it's your responsibility to experiment with these things and verify me on your own. Does that make sense? Yeah? Cool. So last things about coffee here. We found out so far that it's definitely dehydrating, right? That it's this, this toxin really to the body, that it's very acidic in nature. And the thing is with acidity, I told you already human blood slightly alkaline. Well, the thing is it has to stay there. The human bloodstream cannot deviate from this slight alkalinity of 7.34, even marginally or else you'll die. And so your body is willing to do whatever it takes to maintain that alkalinity. And so when something super acidic, like coffee or alcohol, comes into the body, the body essentially freaks out. I already made that great sound effect that you guys laughed at. Right? I won't do it again. But when it freaks out, what happens is it starts to scour and scavenge the whole body, looking for the most alkalizing minerals around to re-alkalize the bloodstream. Well. No coincidence, one of the most alkalizing minerals is calcium. And anyone, where do we find calcium in the human body? There we got it. The bones, the bones, of course. That's where 99% of the calcium is stored. The other 1% is stored in the bloodstream in order to re-alkalize the blood. You see that? And so what happens when we take in these acidic substances is that the body actually actively leaches calcium from the bones to re-alkalize the blood. So we talked about disease prevention, right? That was one of the themes of tonight's class. Well, my question to you guys is now, I mean, everyone in this room mostly is quite young, early in life, right? You have some time to either build or destroy your body over the next 20 years. 20 years from now, if we had a big Monday Night Health Talk reunion, how would you come back? How would the condition of your body be? Right? What would it look like? How would it move? How much strength would it have? Would you have a hip replacement or not? And that decision is decided today, tonight, right now, because you are currently building your future self. I'll take questions at the end, okay, love? Thanks. All right? And, and as for that 20-year time frame, it's a really amazing, amazing time frame because uh, research like about a year and a half ago or so showed that cancer, one of these five maladies that I mentioned, cancer manifests in the body up to 20 years before it's ever seen in a clinical setting. And so you might think, well, what is cancer 20 years before it's cancer? Guess what? It's acidity. Guess what? It's that toxicity that wasn't released through the colon because you're not pooping three times a day. You see that? Or two times a day if you don't eat breakfast. And so all of a sudden we start to see, yes, indeed, the choices that we're making today are deciding our future self. And that's really powerful because it's like you're not doing stuff for yourself anymore. You're doing stuff for your future self. Right? And your future self, of course, is going to include like your kids, maybe, if you want to have children. It's going to include all the people around you, maybe a, a spouse. Right? And it's going to include perhaps your career and your purpose in this life. 
Whatever you're here to do, the reason that you were born, does anyone know the reason you were born? It's a really good thing to find out. Ubud's a really good place to find that out. So if you don't know, I can, I can try to point you in a direction to someone who could help you on that path. But yeah, what you're doing now is deciding if that's going to happen or not. How, how much power you're going to have to be able to live out that purpose. And that's purposeful. That's powerful. Okay. All right, so one last word on coffee. Not only is it incredibly dehydrating, acidifying in the body, actively leaching calcium from the bones, many of you will know that it's addictive, and we know any substance is addictive if when we don't have it, we experience a kind of withdrawal. So these headaches, like the twinges, this irritability, that's the withdrawal from coffee, that's something definitely really important to acknowledge. And this addictive substance, that's what a drug is, something that's addictive. But more than anything, it's an external stimulant. And I love talking about this because my job is to connect people into their internal stimulus. Right? This inner sense of vitality, this campaign, I'm, I'm working, and people are telling me I have to start calling it branding. So my brand, even though I'm super resistant to that, my brand is live for vitality. And what that's saying is that you have this essence of aliveness inside of you. You have this spark that you had when you were five or six years old. It was much clearer then because there wasn't so much clouding it. Right? Do you remember when you were a kid and you felt like you could just jump out of bed in the morning and express life at its fullest? You just wanted to play and jump on trees and be joyous? Well, guess what? That essence of you did not die in puberty. It's still very much in existence. It's just that today we have worries and cares and all of these chemical pollutants from food and from the environment. Right? We have all of this built-up toxicity in the body. Right? We're feeling a bit constipated, not only in the colon, but at a cellular level. Right? We're dehydrated. That's one of the best ways to be in a bad mood. Just get dehydrated. Right? No problem. And all of a sudden, when we stop all of that clutter, we start to create some space in our life. And again, fasting is the fastest way to create that space because literally nothing is coming in and we just have time and space. All of a sudden, the body gets to clear and clean, come back to center. Right? A newfound sense of clarity is developed from that. And we start from there on a path of healing, and that's really powerful. Okay, so because coffee is an external stimulant, it's disconnecting you from this inner life force, right? If your tick that you get from work, right, you, you drink coffee because you have to work, and then you drink more coffee because you have to do more work, and then tomorrow morning you have to drink more coffee to do, do more, work, more work, more work, 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 you see? It's like a cycle. Well, all of a sudden, you're so disconnected, you're so reliant on this drug. I, I'm not, I won't hesitate to call it a drug, right? Just like sh white sugar, coffee is one of the biggest dealt drugs in the world of today. And if you look at the economics of it, right, and the global trade, it very much reflects the economics and the global trade of something like cocaine. Right? Very, very similar economic paradigms, anyway. So when we look at this, we say, yes, indeed, I am relying on that stimulus from outside. And so that's going to disempower my body from creating my own internal stimulus. And the thing is, what we're doing here in yoga is awakening the vital life force energy that we call in the system of Ayurveda prana. Have you heard that word, prana? 
Yeah? Prana. It's energy. It's just like chi from the Chinese system, ki from the Japanese system. Have you heard of Reiki? That healing technique? Ki. Same thing as chi, same thing as prana. In Hawaii, it's called mana. This life force is known to every culture throughout humanity. They have a way of understanding it and talking about it, maybe naming it, a way of working with it, using it for healing and using it for aliveness. We have fasting as a practice in every religion throughout time, right? From Hinduism to Buddhism to Islam, right, to Judaism. Those are the major world religions of today. Of course, Christianity as well. Lent, that wasn't originally just a chocolate fast where you ate everything but chocolate. Lent was a true 40-day fast where Jesus was in the desert cleansing. Yeah? I'm doing research with academics in Morocco to look in the Quran and see that actually Ramadan was definitely a full-on month fast, that Ramadan was not sunrise to sunset, and then sunsets and you gorge yourself, right? That we've lost our way today. And the reason that these fasts were put in through every major religion is because religion was the paradigm for culture. It was like an advice giver. It was how to live a healthy life was also in that religious text. And so by all means, fasting was a part of that. And this is something that's so overly lost in the modern society of today. And so I try to talk about fasting at least a little bit in every lecture I give to just plant these seeds, yeah? Because our body was made to go through cycles of feast and famine. But today we permanently have feast. We never face famine anymore. And because of that, that means that the body never gets vacation, holiday. Never has time to house clean, to clean up the mess that we're constantly creating. All right. So when we talk about... Uh, disease prevention and reversal. There are all of these, uh, the myriad of, of topics that I've mentioned so far, right? Things like alkalinity, things like the amount of energy that's going to digestion versus healing, things like constipation. These are primary foundations of health that people just don't talk about. Even if you go see a naturopath, Right? The naturopath will tell you you have an adrenal fatigue and an imbalance here and there and that they'll prescribe you $1,000 worth of supplements. Has anyone had that kind of experience? My advice is if you're going to a naturopath, go to one who's not trying to sell you anything. Yeah? Good. All right. So the thing is that my job um, sometimes is really hard, sometimes difficult. I'll admit that. Because the world of today is not a very honest one. Things are not what they seem especially in a world of cloning and genetic engineering, right, and robots like we're about to have, <laughs> things can get really out of whack. For example, the oranges that you see, like you might go to the supermarket here, the oranges in Bali quite often are imported from Pakistan, yeah? And in Pakistan, they're sprayed with orange spray paint so that when they get here, they look amazing and ripe, right? That's spray paint on the outside of the orange. Something like this is very misleading, if you don't disagree, yeah? And so, when we look at plants, because remember that two-word quote from Michael Pollan, eat plants, really good quote? Not all plants today are the same, yeah? We have a whole variety of differing agricultural practices. This is something I teach in my seven-day detox retreat. The worst of the worst, let's say, is genetically modified plants. Any plants that's GM, like about... 
85% of the corn in the world, 95% of the sugar beets in the world, and that sugar beet is used for processed food sweetening. Beet sugar, yeah. Uh, lots of other plants like soy, yeah, good, good up there. 70% of soy in the world today is genetically modified. So if you've eaten those things before corn, soy, or sugar beets, likelihood is you've consumed genetically modified varieties. Right? That means that the seed was doctored in a laboratory to contain genes of a different, completely different species. Not necessarily of plants, it could be of animals. Yeah, in Europe, they're splicing fish scales, into, DNA of fish scales, into tomatoes to thicken the skin of tomatoes. Right? That's crazy, because like, what if you had a fish allergy and you ate tomatoes? Oops. Right? So this is experimentation that we've never done before, ever, anywhere, in any realm. I'm, that's an assumption. But this is an experimentation which doesn't have a lot of results, and the results are kind of just like release it into the public and see what happens. So definitely genetically modified food is not real food by any way, shape, or form. There's no guarantee that we could ever receive nutrition from it. Right? And so that's something definitely to be wary of. The next category would be like conventional agriculture. And this is most agriculture in the world today. This is like you just go to the grocery store and buy like a big old hunk of celery or something like that. That's agriculture that's probably been sprayed with a lot of pesticides to try to get insects away. It's agriculture which was like planted in soil that was probably chemically fertilized, not really cared for, yeah? Unfortunately, the nutrition in that commercial uh, vegetable probably isn't so high. And then over here on this side, we have organic. You guys have heard that buzzword, right? Organic. Sounds really good. The past 10 years have all been about organic. Well, unfortunately, the word itself doesn't mean so much anymore. It depends, of course, on what country you're in and what their regulation is. But organic just means what they're not doing. It's referring to what they're not doing, that they're not spraying certain things. It's not actually talking about what is there. And organic is a great, it's a great start. It's better than these other two varieties, for sure, the GM and the conventional. So it's a good start, for sure. But there's something beyond today something beyond organic, something that's maybe permaculture-based, something that's inherently paying attention to the microbiome, not of our human body, but actually of the earth body. Right? Because truly nutritious fruit and vegetable has to be grown from truly nutritious soil. And this is a big kicker that a lot of people miss. Yeah? Because our food, just because it's a fruit or vegetable, doesn't mean that it's going to be healthy. Right? If it has the pesticide residue, right? or if it's genetically modified, even worse. Right? Or if it's organic, it might have some nutrients, but not as much as this beyond organic kind of permaculture philosophy, whereby when there's compost put into the soil, the soil itself, specifically the top nine inches of topsoil, is very rich in microbes. And these microbes are what fixes nutrients into the plant. It's this beautiful exchange between the plant and the soil. And you need the soil to be healthy for the plant to be healthy. All right, so the best way, fastest way, easiest way, maybe, maybe, is for you guys to grow your own, to start a vegetable garden. Does anyone have one? Hallelujah, brother. Everyone go talk to him after class. Give him a hug. <laughs> well, there you go. So now you're going to compost in it. That's first step. Step one, compost. Step two, a way that you can do this without doing a vegetable garden, although I highly encourage you to, is to go to your local farmer's market so that you can cut out the middleman of the grocery store and go directly to the guy or the girl who grows your food. How amazing is that? To meet the beautiful being who raised your plant from seed to food? 
thank you. Right? When you meet that person, introduce yourself. They'll be really happy to meet you because you're the person who's eating their baby. Right? That's kind of cool. Right? But moreover, ask that person, tell me about your growing practices. Right? Then you'll start to get a little conversation about farming. Maybe you'll learn something. And then the question you want to ask is, do you compost? Three words, do you compost? Because that answer, yes or no, is going to tell you how many nutrients are going to end up on your dinner table. Do you see that? So when we talk about microbes, first and foremost, it's microbes in the soil. The soil of the earth today is inherently deficient, just like the microbial environment in our body is deficient. Yeah? And because of this, we're finding that certain soil-based organisms that were alive centuries ago are now dead. And so we don't have so much intake of them. Moreover, we've gone through like this huge antibiotic revolution where everything has to be sterile and pasteurized and clean. Yeah? But the thing is, we're meant to be exposed to dirt. Right? There are studies now on soil, on dirt, showing that dirt is an antidepressant. <laughs> Who would have ever thought? Right? When was the last time you had dirt under your fingernails? It's something to ask yourself. You can go to his garden. Yeah. <laughs> go to his garden. garden yeah. So we start to see things coming together here, for sure. The alkalinity, the microbiome, all of this. In our human body, because as a result of all of that sterility and all of that antibiotic regimen, not only from antibiotic pills or vaccines when you're young, or the hand wash, or the hand pump, or the spray in the airplane. Anyone? When you're landing in Asia from Europe or going the other way, you get a huge spray of antibiotics in the aisle. Isn't that lovely? They don't even ask you, and you can't even do anything. It's, it's like, wow, get your gas mask out immediately. Yeah? Anyway, so we're hugely exposed to this sterility today, and that has created death in the human body. Death of what? Death of our microbiome. Because yes, we have more than three trillion strains of living bacteria in the body. And this is indeed what makes us up. That we are bacterial beings by nature. And the balance of the bacterial culture in the body is directly reflected by our balance of health. And so when you look at something that's super acidic, what do you think that will do to our good bacteria? Yeah, you're just too nervous to say. Kill it. It'll kill it. So by all means, coffee will kill good bacteria in your body. Now, how do you take good bacteria in? What if we want to rebuild it? Anyone have an idea? There we go. Probiotics. Yeah. So we have a whole list of fermented foods here. right? Probiotics. Has anyone ever taken a probiotic capsule? Yeah, some of you. So that's a really good start. But the thing is, that's made in the laboratory, right? So there's no guarantee that the body will actually recognize it because it's not necessarily naturally occurring. But all these fermented foods that he mentioned, by all means, the body will be able to digest and understand. They'll be carried throughout the entire digestive tract. So there are tons of different fermented foods, from kimchi to sauerkraut to miso. Here in Indonesia, we have a really cool one. It's called tape. It's fermented... Uh, cassava, you know, cassava, yucca, manioc, it's a root plant, yeah? And it's fermented, it gets really super sweet. And that's actually where a lot of the vitamin B12 supplements in the world are derived from, right? So before you leave Bali, check out some tape, T-A-P-E. You can get it at the grocery store, it's just like in a plastic container. Or find, find a beautiful Ibu who makes it, yeah, and ask her to give you some. So everyone's writing it down, I love it. 
You, you like tupper, yeah? So, yes, by all means, fermented foods are a necessary part of our human life today because the truth is that the soil doesn't have the bacterial aliveness that it once did. So we're not going to get that from our fruits and vegetables, and we sterilize them so much anyway, right? And so we do need this exposure to probiotics. The most effective probiotic that I have ever found worldwide, and I've been searching for a good 15 years, is Key for Life, this, this brand that they have the bottles here. It's a green bottle. It's a coconut kefir, so there's nothing in it except for the coconut water and a live active culture, right? And that is going to go directly into your body as this uptake of good bacteria. Now, I even prefer more so than the liquid, I prefer the yogurt that they make. Unfortunately, we don't have it here, but you can get it at Down to Earth, the health food store, or Bali Buddha. So this is more homework for you guys. It's going to cost you 30,000 rupee. I think you can afford it. You came to Bali. Yeah? It's a little white tub of coconut yogurt. So it's nothing but coconut flesh and this live active culture. And the reason that this is so awesome and the reason that I prefer the yogurt to the drink, the kefir, is because the yogurt will go through your entire digestive tract, bringing the good bacteria all the way through rather than being absorbed as a liquid. But how does Very good question. Very good question. It's a different kind of acidity. The gastric juices don't act upon the coconut yogurt to kill the microbiome in the same way that, let's say, coffee would. Yeah? So we can get into the, the chemistry of digestion later. The ultimate answer is that it's not known because we can't do experiments on a living, digesting human stomach. We can't take it into a laboratory and cut it open because it's no longer living and digesting. And so there's so much about human digestion that we don't know. And that's why you have to do the experiment on your own. But I'll tell you what the experiment premise is. A probiotic only works if it makes you poop within half hour to 40 minutes after you take it. And so those of you who are loading up on expensive probiotic pills and stuff, if they're not making you poop, guess what? They're not really working. And you have to make sure you're hydrated to have that happen. But indeed, a probiotic should send you to the toilet. So you guys can test it out with this coconut yogurt stuff. And the thing about this specific culture is that the kefir grain, it's not a grain like we think of grain, it's a cultural starter, has been carried all around the world. The guy who makes it, who I tried to get to come to talk today, He's carried it to more than 20 countries worldwide and made ferment in all of those countries. And so what happens then is it's exposed to the air and the local bacteria in all of those countries. And it collects all of the good bacteria from all of those countries and it's in this living, thriving microorganism. And so this is why I've found it to be one of the most powerful probiotics in the world. So don't, again, don't believe me, verify me, try it out. Yeah? So, if I were to kind of state a closing statement, because you guys are like dying here with your hands. I'll, I'll go to questions in a second. Uh, if I were to make a closing statement as to this whole lecture about prevention and reversal of disease, it's to alkalize, to clear the bowels, to give the body a break and allow it to heal itself, right? To start to eat way more fruits and vegetables, because those are the things that are going to alkalize you, make you move your bowels and give your body more energy to heal because they're easy to digest. Everything's coming together now. Yeah? And then the standpoint on it, like the ultimate disease prevention lifestyle, is definitely to fuel your life with this good bacteria. For sure, because that's what's missing in our world of today. And if I had another finger, sixth finger, right, like in The Princess Bride, we would say that my sixth finger would be something about movement, 
right? Dynamic movement, things like yoga, where you're having all of these incredible positions all of a sudden, and the fluids in your body get to recycle and be regenerated and moved around, and you have this beautiful flow of the blood and depth of the breath. Yeah, that's why yoga is so popular today, because it's giving the world a dynamic movement that we've lost in our sedentary lifestyles. And so keep practicing your yoga and then do all those other five-finger things. And you guys are on the right track. In our 20-year reunion, you're going to look so amazing and feel even better. All right, let me hear your questions. I think over here, you were first, so let's go with you first. It adds to the tick, so that external stimulus is obviously coming from the caffeine. By all means, yes, for sure. So decaffeinated, does it empower or disempower your internal source of vitality? And that could be a good conversation to have, but decaffeinated coffee will still have all of the other acidifying, addictive, dehydrating effects. Yeah? Good question. All right, you were next. Why is it so Because it's alivening your inner bacteria. So you have already bacteria, trillions, in your gut. And when these bacteria come in, it's like, let's get the party started. Everything starts to awaken, and with bacterial influence, you'll have movement in the bowel. And I mean, when you look at any probiotic, even like Key for Life, if you guys were to go right now and do this experiment too, I dare someone to do it. Anyone want to have diarrhea? All right. Do it and let me know how it goes. If you were to go and drink like three bottles of the big key for life, we should, we should have the guy come and give it to you for free to do the experiment. <laughs> you would have diarrhea. That's the symptom of drinking too much of active probiotic, is that by all means you start having the runs because your body's like, whoa, it's a rave now. Let's go back down to a party. Yeah? And so this is the activity. This is our microbiome is what regulates us from an immune system level, right, through the lymphatic system, to the digestive system level in the large intestine specifically. There's a lot of awesome new research today that's showing that perhaps, it's still just theory, but perhaps the appendix, you know the appendix? Anyone not have theirs anymore? Yeah, you need probiotics more than the rest of us. That the appendix is the birthplace, the nest, the seat of probiotic activity in the body, right? And this is right next to the cecum, which is the host, the biggest collection of toxins in the body, right? Really interesting thing there, right? And that has a very direct relationship to the anus. And the anus, obviously, the exit pathway. And so as there's a party here, there's a party here. All right, I've said enough. You had a question. Uh, I actually have three questions. <laughs> they Yeah. Awesome. I love that question. How do you decipher? How do you decipher between a diarrhea influence, like something like coffee as well, as well as milk, from a probiotic kind of movement? Um, it will be a full movement. It won't be a movement that's loose in any way. It will be a movement that feels healthy and complete. Yeah? So that's when you know a healthy movement from not. So about, like we have a whole discussion on digestion and poop. You guys can come back another week and request the poop talk, and I'll give you a poop talk. Um, and we talk about different kinds of poos, and I show you pictures and stuff like that. But in essence, the perfect poo, you shouldn't have to wipe. 
because it was a complete elimination. The bacteria was able to yeah, shelter out the entire fecal matter at once. Yeah? Whereas uh, more of a diarrhea poop, like if you had lactose intolerance, it'll, it'll be messy. Yeah, because it's trace toxicity. Yeah, so what, what, what did the research study measure is what you're asking? Yeah, I haven't read it in about a year and a half since it came out, so I would have to go back to the study and look at really what they, what they were doing as markers. Um, my guess is that they were watching the maturation of a cancerous foci, but by all means, it could be toxicity because the body's always trying to clear itself from the center. So if you look at something like the pancreas, right, just one of our many organs, if the pancreas has toxicity there... It's going to keep it, but it doesn't want it to be in the body of the pancreas. It always wants to clear itself. But then maybe the colon, the waste bin is full, so it has to keep on, hold on to the toxins because it can't dump them. There's nowhere to dump. It's already overflowing. So it holds on to the toxicity, puts it out to the side, makes a beautiful little bubble around it to like isolate that toxicity. I don't want that anywhere near me, right, out to the side. Well, that's 20 years of maturation. Later on, you have cancerous foci forming around this improper alignment of cells, which is essentially what cancer is, and bam, there's your tumor, right? Or pancreatic cancer, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah? And the last one, um, you said that um, disease is mean acidity. Acidity? Yeah, acidity. Uh, to flourish. Um, I wonder whether this is true for all kinds of diseases. Because you said it in a universal study. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm talking about health and disease in a universal setting. Um, dis-ease, if we look at the word dis-ease, it's uneasiness. It's essentially imbalance in the body. And so that we can start to see health as balance in the body. And so anything out of balance in the body, by all means, is going to manifest as disease. And the thing is, in the Western medical paradigm today, we have disease names. We're so overly stuck in disease conditions. Right? Like an MD is trained in disease. They're never trained in health. Does that make sense? So as a doctor, I, I practice health. I try not to practice disease. I try not to give attention because more often than not, disease names or labels are just a collection of symptoms. And there's a lot of confusion as to like, oh, I can't diagnose or it might be a few different things or the doctors just aren't sure because there's a root underlying imbalance in the body. And so my job is to go to that root and all of the diseases that are a manifestation of that root imbalance will balance themselves out. Does that make sense? Great question. Can we be too alkaline? So this isn't actually known. I mean, the thing is, in the world of today, I would, I would want to say no because our environment is way acidic. Right? The amount of EMF radiation that's going through this room through the Yoga Barn 7 internet networks, through the radio networks, through the cell phone towers, Right, through the TV waves, through the fiber optic cables, like that's, that alone <laughs> right, is creating so much acidity, let alone the trash burning in the air from the chemicals or the mosquito stuff that they spray to kill mosquitoes, right? or the toxicity that's in our water or our stressful thoughts. Like Our world of today is so overly acidic that I don't know if we could even tip to the alkaline point. Yeah, does that make sense? And that's why disease, one of the many reasons why disease is so prevalent. So yeah. But I can tell you from experience and from experience of thousands of people who are re-alkalizing their diet and eating actually mostly 
fruits and vegetables only, right, that they're experiencing extreme states of vitality that most of the mainstream people don't even touch. Yeah? Cool. All right, somewhere over here, I had a question. We're already past time, so I'm going to have you go next time. Yeah, cool. So herbal tea is great. Herbal tea is great. Water is necessary. Nothing can ever replace water. No other liquid will digest in the body like water. Spring water is the kind of water that we're meant to be drinking. You can go to a website, findaspring.com, and look up a natural spring near you where you can go and fill up water for free. Right? Other kinds of waters don't have minerals, and so your body might not understand them. Yeah, but back to your question. Black tea is also acidic. White tea is also acidic, although to lesser degrees than coffee. Right? It's not the seed of a plant, so it's not going to have the same laxative effect by any means. So are they better? I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. They're, they're still acidic. Green tea, only slightly acidic, has caffeine. So we're talking again about that external stimulus. So what are you drinking these things for? Why? Right? There's... Yeah, cool. So, so let's, let's finish class on that note. My, my recommendation would be herbal tea, a beautiful flower tea, or moreover water. So we're going to finish class, everyone stand up, on the note of what if you're tired. Okay? So first thing, inhale, raise your arms over the top of your head. Take a big inhale. Keep inhaling, keep inhaling. Reach up through your fingertips. Keep inhaling. Exhale. All right, one more time. Inhale, reach up, come up to the tips of your toes. Inhale, inhale, inhale. Keep inhaling, expand wide through the lungs, exhale, back heels to the earth. All right, now place your hands right above your bum. You can have your fingertips down. Go wide through your feet. Maybe you even want to put the heel of your hands into your hips and your fingertips out and around. And look up toward the sky. Lift your heart up toward the sky. Keep inhaling, squeeze your shoulder blades and your elbows together, relax your neck, look up toward the sky. Keep inhaling, expand wide through the ribs, inhale. And then gently, slowly tuck the chin in, come up, say, ha, ha. Now do it two more times on your own. You can even use the arms up and go back if you feel comfortable. Super lightheaded, yeah. Low blood pressure. Yeah, but also eating more calories, putting more weight on. Yeah. So we're going to look at parasites then. All right, did you do two times? All right, who feels like they just drank a cup of coffee? Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Vitality Podcast. Please click over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review to spread this work with the world. You have a part in transforming humanity's health. Keep enjoying this free resource and make sure to give back by sharing, subscribing, and checking out all of Andrea's work at liveforvitality.com, where you can find links to Instagram and other social media. Andrea also gives astrology readings, holds online fasting retreats, and teaches detox courses and advanced yoga teacher trainings. So come to liveforvitality.com and let Andrea transform your life now.